the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Maniple. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Podcast episode number 170. I am your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed. And this is Stella. And we are bringing you the latest comic news and comic reviews from the weeks of August 30th through September 12th. With a little bit of news to cover, and we have two books to cover, so we're going to get straight into our comic news. The very first thing we have is on September 1st, Scott Snyder was talking on Twitter, and he mentioned that he has an idea for Two-Face. Now, what's slightly interesting about this is that we all know that Scott Snyder is obviously currently writing Batman, but we also know, as we've discussed multiple times, that he is only contracted through issue number 50 alongside Greg Capullo. He's also stated multiple times that he does not want to continue on Batman if Capullo is not going to continue with him, basically pushing themselves together in order to give DC whatever Capullo wants. So, that being said, there is... There were some interesting tweets. I'm just going to read through them real quick because there's not that many. It says, been working on my take on Two-Face for a possible story. Something different, new angle, pretty excited. We'll see. Been rereading a lot of Two-Face stuff to prepare. Think this will be something you guys will like. Haven't seen him approach quite this way. And then someone said, you know, are, are you... Schizophrenia is often a default used to define this villain. I hope you guys take the higher ground. I trust you guys. And he responded with, not interested in villainizing mental illness. Joker is evil, not ill. Two-Face will be about another type of darkness. Then he said, Two-Face, someone you guys want to see take center stage sometime. Then someone asked the question... Two-Face isn't, 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 uh, well, they, they worded it in a weird way, but basically they were asking, isn't Two-Face dead already? Uh, to which Snyder responded, point. <laughs> dead and never coming back, ever, smiley face. Then he said, thanks for the encouragement for a Two-Face story all, much appreciated. Could Snyder be working on Two-Face? It's entirely possible. It was weird that he randomly brought this up. It's also slightly strange how... The the comments about Two-Face being dead, that goes back to Batman and Robin or Batman and Two-Face number 28 yep. that was written by Peter Tomasi where we saw Harvey Dent slash Two-Face shoot himself in the head. Mm-hmm. We didn't actually see him shoot. We just saw blood splatter across the walls and he hasn't been seen since. So the question is, is Two-Face dead? Is Snyder possibly going to be working on him? And how exactly will Snyder work on him if he's not on Batman past number 50? Well, I, I would kind of, I was kind of assuming when I read this that this would be for past 50. I mean, I guess he could always get another Bat title. I mean, it would, it wouldn't be the strangest thing in the world if he left Batman and went to, I guess, Detective's the only main Bat title left, but, uh, or maybe an original graphic novel. Who knows? Um, but I would like to see some kind of resolution to Two-Face. I mean, it's not like he's going to stay dead forever. So I'd be okay with this. Uh, Bumble that ball. poor character, you know, He's such an awesome character, you know, to work with. And it's hard to imagine that it's been a year, a year plus since we've seen him. So if Snyder is going to do this, it's got to be, you can't just throw him in there and two issues and, and give him his due. He, he needs some time, I think, 
to, uh, to cure like good cheese and good wine. So, and, and it, there's gotta be an awesome explanation for what happened. So if that's the next story, I look forward to it, but he better not just drop him and then leave. And then someone else has got to pick up the pieces and doesn't do well with him. I guess the biggest question is, are you guys ready for a 14 part two phase story? It's not going to be 14 parts. He's learned his lesson, hasn't he? Well, we would hope so. My, my thing is, you know, 22 I, parts? Cause I'm it's all four. I'm all four. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh <God. laughs> nice uh, one there. Um, I, I'm all for Snyder tackling two face. You know, Snyder has, you know, we've, we've seen him tackle, obviously, some of the classic villains, Joker, Riddler. We've seen him do his own characters with, James Gordon Jr. and, and, uh, the Court of Owls. But to a degree, we, we, I think we have agreed that his stuff that is his own original creations has been better than some of the stuff he's worked on with the classic characters. That's at least my opinion on it. I don't know your guys' opinion on that. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I, mean, I don't think it's inarguable that he does. I mean, he, he prefers to play with his own people. Yeah. And, and I think, um, well, that's interesting because, you two may, well, at least Dustin would probably disagree about Harper Rowe. Um, you know, does he write her well? But I think, you know, when a, when a writer or anyone creates his or her own thing, obviously I feel like there's love and tenderness towards that character and they really want to develop them well. Um, but I also think that Snyder is very much a fanboy. And so, you know, at the heart of it. So I think any of these crucial and great characters of the Batman mythos, he also has a love for. So I think Two-Face, you know, we see that he likes the Joker. I think Two-Face could potentially be one of those other people. That, But then we've also seen that he doesn't really want to touch Damien that much. Alfred, we feel like he's got some sort of animosity towards him. But I do think that the original ones um, are... I think he's like the court of owls, like he said, I think Dustin is, um, there's just something special about that and it's been very creative. Um, so yeah, I would, I would agree. Yeah. So the, the basic gist of this is if he tackles two face, okay, it could turn out well. Um, but we've seen that some of his own creations have been, have, have worked out a little bit better for him. But that being said, the, the interesting thing about him possibly working on Two-Face is more about he has to be around past 50. I mean, we're going on issue number 45 next month. We only have five issues until issue 50. The really interesting thing is there was a comment, which we'll get to in a minute, talking about changes coming in 2016. And we've heard this multiple times in the past about changes coming. And it happens, honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, it happens almost every single year where one time during the year something big happens within the Bat family and it changes everything. This year it was pretty much when Convergence was over and all of, and James Gordon Jr. or James Gordon it became Batman and most of the books have been referencing and you know dealing with that kind of that that big change. Uh last year in 2014, I would honestly say it was probably October when we had new directions for Catwoman and Batgirl happen. We had a bunch of new titles start, like Gotham by Midnight happened in November, Gotham Academy, um, so Arkham Manor. There was a lot of that. That was like the big time change, the big changing time for the Bat books last year in 2014. So it feels like. There is a change every year, but who knows what is going to happen if Snyder's talking about potentially writing a Two-Face story and he only has five issues left. So, very doubtful that it's going to be in those five issues if he's going to be working on Two-Face. Moving along, we end on September 2nd, 
the variant store, the variant cover for the comic stores was revealed. This is the one we'll have the comic store logo on it. The picture is on the website. It basically has the Joker in a pool of blood. The blood is forming the bat logo and your comic book store will have their logo in the middle of the blood bat. So you can check it out on the website. Uh, we were talking about this right before we started recording about the number of variant covers that this book is having. I'm not even going to talk about it right now because we're going to end up, if we have time, we'll discuss it later on. If we don't have time, we're definitely going to discuss it next episode because uh, there was a big reveal, which we'll get to in one second, of a number of other variant covers. All right, so next up we have a Batman and Robin Eternal interview roundup with Tinian and Daniel. I mentioned on the last episode there were some interviews that were done with Tony Daniel, and I said that nothing really came out of those interviews. Well, the following week, on September 4th, there was a bunch of interviews that were posted with James Tinian, and he talked about a lot more stuff, revealing a lot more things. So Terry compiled all of the highlights from all of the various interviews between Daniel and, and Tinian uh, from the, a wide variety of websites. So here is the rundown of some of these highlights. Cassandra Kane will be at the center of Batman and Robin Eternal, the way that Stephanie Brown was in the first series of Eternal. Bruce will have a role to play in the series, despite not currently being Batman in the ongoing title. The title will include all former Robins, including the current cast of We Are Robin, but there is no specific comment of Carrie Kelly or acknowledgement of Stephanie Brown's tenure as Robin in old continuity, though. The villain, Mother, is meant to be a thematic surrogate for Mother uh, Martha Wayne. The identity of the true villain in Batman and Robin Eternal won't be as ambiguous or subject to as many twists as in the first volume. Hallelujah. Now, yeah, let's just speak about that real quick. I think part of the reason there was so many twists was because they were unsure as to who the actual main villain was going to be by the end of the story. You know, when it was revealed that Cluemaster was the big villain, everybody was just kind of scratching their head saying, really? This is what it was? And then, of course, we had Lincoln March show up in, in the very last issue. But in my mind, I just feel like the reason there was so many twists was because they needed twists just to have page count, just to fill issues so they could get to that 52. That's that's what it felt like. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that they're not doing that this time around. Um, yeah. yeah, they can't do that again. And I think everyone complained loudly enough that they want to avoid that. And I think they obviously are, are going to because if they're going out of the way to tell us an interview, then I think they're well aware of those screw up lot. Yeah, I think honestly, I think a lot of the things that they did not. Okay, well, let me just. We'll, 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 I'll mention that in a second. Batman and Robin Eternal <laughs> isn't exactly a sequel to the first series as much as it is another instance of the same kind of epic storytelling. The story will essentially be written in two issue arcs with creators taking turn in the arcs. Okay, this is where I. This is what I was trying to get to. I think what I was about to say was the, I think what they've done is they've learned a lot about the mistakes of the first volume. We've already talked about the fact that it's going to be half as long. Uh, we talked about the fact that now, you know, they're saying that they're not going to have the villain be so ambiguous. They are now putting out there that everything is going to be written in two issue story arcs, which with each creator taking turns with the arcs, which is the creators taking turns, they did this before, but it wasn't really story arcs. It was just kind of trying to continue on from what happened right before it happened. So the fact that it's only going to be two-issue story arcs is really smart because some of the three-issue three story arcs that they did before, there was one whole issue in the midst of it that always felt like it was fluff. 
and could have easily been taken out. So this time around, only two issue arcs. I have to say, very smart to do that. Also, very convenient for us on the podcast because <laughs> we can review it a little bit easier with only two issue story arcs. Yeah, all positive there. Nothing bad. Mm-hmm. All right. This story is meant to happen at the same time as the current Batman continuity, but the events of Eternal story may bleed into other titles as with Catwoman and Arkham Manor, like the first series. There are other characters which will be returning to continuity that have not been announced as of yet. So I think one of the things that we're going to try to do before the next episode is we're going to try to compile a brief list of some major characters that would actually warrant some sort of excitement about that that haven't appeared in post-Flashpoint continuity in the Batman universe. Because there are some, there are actually a bunch of them, but there's not a whole lot of Really, really important characters. Cassandra Kane is one of the few. Renee Montoya was another one. Yeah. She just popped back up in Detective, though. So it'll be interesting to see exactly who it is. But I think that's one of our assignments for the next episode is we're going to put together a list. He's giving out homework now, huh? Yes, yes, we are. <laughs> All right. Uh, issues with the rest of the Bat family, assuming that Dick Grayson is dead, will be settled in the pages of Grayson before Batman and Robin Eternal begins, which means I'm almost positive that's literally happening this month, which means next episode we're going to be talking about that because there's not that much more time for there, for that, that to actually occur. We also have, I believe, a Grayson annual this month, if I remember correctly, um, because there's, this is a five week month. So I'm positive it doesn't happen in the pages of Grayson. It's going to happen in the pages of the Grayson annual because it has to wrap up before October, which is only Three weeks away. All right. Next up, uh, Dick Grayson will be the central figure of the family with Bruce Wayne Batman out of the picture. Cassandra Kane will not be returning as Batgirl, but might end up with a costume of her own by the end of the series. Damien comes into the story at a later point, while Dick, Jason, Tim, Cassandra Kane, and Harper Row are the main characters from the beginning. Bruce will be seen as Batman using flashbacks only. So, Do you think Goliath will be in this story, or are we just to assume that this story is completely separate from Damien, Son of Batman? I'm going to assume it's completely separate, but what I'm most interested about as we get closer to December is Damien getting worked into the mix because we know that they're going. To, he's involved in the Robin War. We know that he's going to have a conflict with the characters that are appearing in We Are Robin, which is a direct... <coughs> you know, direct event of what's occurred with Batman no longer, or Bruce not being Batman. So Damien actually being put into the mix is interesting that they're actually saying he's going to be in Eternal this time around, which is smart. Also kind of it has to happen because Damien is a Robin and this is supposed to be a celebration of the Robins. But I think Damien, it'll be interesting to see how they do this because Nobody's even talked about Damien. There's hardly any books that even reference Damien. Mm-hmm. It's I, like I, he's basically the black sheep that no one even knows exists. I, I think that's why they say, you know, Damien comes in the story at a later point. I think we, cause I think we got to get him through Robin War because this will, these will be going on at the same time, right? Yeah. So I think we got to get Robin War done and then whatever fallout from there over with before Damien can join Batman and Robin Eternal. At least that's kind of the way. I put, although I did read that in Robin War, Jason Todd and the rest of them are going to be in there too, so, I don't know. Sounds like there'll be a little crossover. Uh, crossover. I don't know. Snyder doesn't like Damien. How's that going to work? 
Because <laughs> our assumption is that it's gonna kill him again. Well, it's not. It's it's. it's we have to assume that it's not Snyder. Snyder has said that Kenyon's kind of the the showrunner this time around, not him, and he's just kind of there. He's, yeah, he, he, he has he, said that, and that's why Tinian made the rounds for the interviews and not Snyder, which props to DC for actually giving Tinian the ability to go do that, not seeing Snyder go talk about this book, because last time around, no offense to Snyder, but the last time around, every time he was asked about Eternal, he didn't have a whole lot to say, or if it was anything to say, it was the same thing he said before about, you know, the same little, you know, cue cards that he had used before. Well, it's just the platitude things. That's all he ever says. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. I mean, no. I don't think he's, and this isn't meant as disrespectful to anybody, but I think they were just putting his name in the headline of the book to sell more copies. It seems yeah. like Tinian's been sure on the show for a while. Yeah, I am sure it is because they've been saying, they've been saying since like day one that, uh, Snyder, he, well, not they, I should say they as in DC have not been saying this. It was Snyder who said from day one that he helped write the first issue and he helped write the last issue. And that was basically it. Everybody else had to f- figure out what to fill in the side or in the middle, and right. he just basically was involved in the plotting of some of the stuff, and that was it. So this time around, it, it's the exact same thing, only Snyder himself is saying that it's not his show at all. So he probably is involved with it even less, and that's probably why Damien's going to end up in it. All right, so moving into some other news. This is, I, I'm sure Stella's going to love this news. Uh, on September 8th, uh, HitFix was at Dragon Con and they talked with Brendan Fletcher about Batgirl and he hinted that there is going to be a major status quo change in early 2016. His exact words were, in 2016, it's going to be Barbara Gordon's 50th anniversary as Batgirl. Uh, we're pushing for really incredible things to happen. One thing I can let you know is that in early 2016, there will be an amazing status quo change. It sounds like such a cliche. But this is going to change the way the Bat World works. So I'm assuming early 2016 is most likely April, uh, April slash May, because that's when we know that Eternals running, you know, is going to be done. Issue 50 is going to ha- happen right around that same time frame. And Snyder himself has actually said that after Endgame and Eternal, there is going to be a shakeup within the Batverse. So I'm sure this is the exact same thing. But it's interesting because he mentions that Batgirl will be getting a status quo change. So I'm wondering to see Stella's thoughts on what she thinks that could actually be. <laughs> oh, heavens. Um, it makes me a little nervous because I was just, I recorded um, BTO today, actually. And I was talking about the fact that there's a lot of stuff going on right now. Um, one of it's Frankie. And the other thing, of course, is Elysia and Joe. And I'm concerned that um, if if they were to ever prevent the marriage of Elysia and Joe, they would kill Joe off. And Alicia would take on the vigilante status, which was something actually that Gail Simone had plans to do at some point in the future. So that would certainly be a status changing event as well as Frankie and what part she's playing because we saw that she stole um the, the cowl and then went off and did her own thing in a Halle Berry sort of outfit. Um, but also when I think status quo, I also think of moving, moving cities because I feel like status quo is the word that kept dropping that Higgins kept dropping, right? When Nightwing at the very beginning was like city hopping and everything and we just yep. wanted him to stay someplace. Yep. And that would be a bummer if she left Burnside and went back to Gotham or somewhere just because I feel like 
picking up and starting someplace new really revitalized her. And I like that she's in this place that's still connected to Gotham, but it's someplace that is her own, just like Dick Grayson and Blue Haven. I think that was very much his own. So I'd be bummed if they, if they had her pack up and she went someplace else, because I think it would just be really strange. But, um, whenever someone says those two words though, for fans of that character, it, it's kind of nerve wracking because you really wonder what's about to happen to make that change. Is it going to be a positive thing or is it going to be negative? And I feel like with, with the stuff that's going on right now, I'm sort of like, I don't know, squeezing my hands, like, please let something bad not happen because it seems like something, something's about to break with all the stuff that's going on right now. So, ooh, a little scary. And then the, uh, the next bit that we have comes on September 9th. There was a little bit more details about the Batman Day that have been revealed. Mm. Uh, DC has released that, that the free comic will in fact be called Batman Endgame Special Edition Number 1. It will include an eight-page preview of the Batman Robin Eternal. We all we mentioned all of this before, but now it's actually confirmed by DC. The following retailers will carry free, exclusive variant covers for Batman Endgame Special Edition Number 1. They include Barnes & Nobles, Best Buy, Books A Million, FYE, GameStop, Hastings, Hot Topic, Spencer... I'm uh, not sure how these people actually what? carry them other in digital format, but also Apple iTunes, Amazon, Comixology, Google Play, and Nook. I'm assuming that's just the digital version. You get a variant cover if you get it through there. That just seems like a waste. Why do you need a digital variant cover? Whatever. It makes variant covers worthless, honestly. Like, we're giving digital retailers variant covers. Why? Why? I've never actually purchased an issue, uh, an issue that has variant covers from Comixology. But I'm curious to know if any of you have that have variant covers, do you get the variant cover as well or do you just get the standard cover? I've never gotten a digital, um, variant. Neither have I. I don't think they offer it. That's what's weird that they're yeah. doing and what's the, I mean, the reason I feel like for people to get variants, I mean, it was something that I did when Justice League came out when, um, oh, goodness, what's his name? It was in 2005 with, like, Dinah being the lead and everything. Uh, I was getting those variants before when they were, never mind. Uh, but I was getting the variants, and I feel like the reason why you do it is very, like, much a cosmetic reason because you want them to show them off. You probably aren't going to read that. You'll read the regular version. So how exactly are you going to show off a digital variant cover and be proud of it is, uh, is yeah. interesting. All right, uh, the next couple of things, uh, DC announced that they will in fact be at New York Comic Con and they have a bunch of panel, panels lined up. Uh, they have one specifically called DC Comics The Dark Knight 30th Anniversary. Um, they talk, uh, where they will not only talk about the past work from The Dark Knight, but they will also tease a bunch of stuff from the upcoming, um, the upcoming volume, Dark Knight 3, The Master Race. I also have a number of other panels. You can check out the website for all the, the full panel rundown. But there's at least, there's, there's basically two panels each day. All access. There's a Batman Universe panel on Saturday. There's a spotlight on Scott Snyder. Um, and then there's a, uh, there's a master class art history one. So definitely interesting. Babs Tar is actually part of that art history Ooh. one, which is, Interesting, since she hasn't really been on comic books that long, so it'll be interesting to see what her part of that will be. But 
That is New York Comic Con. All right, uh, solicitations are actually right around the corner. Right around the corner. I, we're recording this on Sunday, and as we're recording this, solicitations are coming out in the next two days. And the reason we know this is because, of course, there's a ton of different things that have been announced ahead of time. Um, in December, we have a new Harley series that will be called Harley's Little Black Book. Um, it will, re- it will release on December 2nd. It features Harley teaming up with various characters within the DC universe. Um, her team up with Power Girl concludes in November, but of course, they're not going to miss out on cashing on that Harley gold. So Harley is gearing up to meet and most certainly annoy the greatest heroes and villains of the DC universe. So the first issue will actually feature her teaming up with Wonder Woman, or I guess just being along for the ride or something of that nature. But uh, the one surprise that I was found out was that uh, because of this Harley's Little Black Book, Harley, yet once again, will take over the variant covers for the month of December. Ooh. Are you which upset means, about that? Which means I was wrong about the Robin variant covers that I was expecting for December to coincide with the Robin War. I don't know how Harley's Little Black Book, a one issue that's coming out in December, warrants the entire variant cover books. Although, looking at the list, maybe maybe they are having two different are, are, it says that Harley's Little Black Book variants are the latest in the variety of monthly themes, but what's really weird is that the only book that is listed that is part of the Batman universe is Batman 47. There's no other Batman book listed here that, except for the Harley's Little Black Book, number one. There's no other book listed. There's no Robin, uh, you know, all of the books that, from the Batman universe that normally get bring covers, none of them are listed. So maybe there is something still happening, and I'm not wrong. I guess we'll find out in a couple days, and you'll have already found out by the time we're listening to this. Mm-hmm. All right, last up, um, there was it was a, some of the custom retailer variants for Dark Knight Three have been revealed. Um, I'm not going to spend too much time on this. I will say that uh, we are we were also talking about this before we started recording, trying to figure out exactly what these variant covers are. They're not very expensive. You can't figure out what the ratio for these variant covers are. There's not a lot of information. All we know is that as of right now, as of us recording this, there's 39 retailers across the United States and I guess the world because some of them are online. So there's 39 retailers that will have special variant covers specifically designed for them. So if you go to a comic shop that is a chain, Chances are they will, in fact, have some sort of special variant cover uh, designed specifically for them with, by a variety of artists. Now, looking at the list of artists, not one artist is doing more than one of these variants. So you're basically getting something custom to that shop, which is kind of cool. But when we were comparing prices of certain things, I mean, it actually looks like it's it's like the variant theme uh, like the monthly variant themes that yes, we see. That's what it looks like as far as, because it's the same price. So it just seems like only certain retailers are going to be getting these because they're all, they have to order X amount of copies to get it. So, and as an update on our discussion last month or last episode talking about the variant cover prices, um, Ed, tell us about what you saw for 
the 1 in 5,000. So I saw a pre-order available for the 1 in 5,000 for a cool $2,000. But uh, full disclosure, that's actually gone now. So I don't know if they, in fact, sold it for $2,000, which is pretty likely, or they realized that they weren't charging enough and decided to do some more market research. But I did see it available around the week for two grand. Yes, which is very weird because, and that was at discount. DCBS. Yeah, yeah DCBS. discount service. Uh, it was on their website, and what's really weird about that is it most likely sold because we also noticed that the Jim Lee variant cover, which is the one five hundred variant cover, they currently have listed for five or one thousand dollars. Yeah, and so the fact that that's one grand and it's a one in five hundred, and you're looking at something that's ten times more rare, that means the other one they had is probably much more expensive than two thousand dollars. But and I, I think that with they may have just got shocked. They put it up and it probably sold instantly, you know, so, which is crazy. But that's the only place we've seen it. We've seen some of the variant covers, the 1 in 500 Jim Lee variant covers pre- being pre-listed on eBay for around $500. Again, they're not really, that's not that big of a surprise there. No more 1 in 5,000. So we'll have to wait and see, just figure out exactly who might actually have more of these 1 in 5,000. That being said, that is actually all of our news. With that, we're going to jump straight into our comic reviews, and the very first book we have is Detective Comics number 44. Detective Comics number 44, written by Brian Buccioletto, art by Fernando Blanco. Uh, The issue starts off with Yip inside of a car with one of the Falcones, um, she, she is basically giving information regarding the circus and she calls Harvey and says, I need you to pick me up uh, across town. Jim Gordon in the bat suit is battling the Joker bot. He's basically beating the crap out of it. The Joker bot runs off, uh, <laughs> ends up whacking into a bridge at that, uh, Harvey and Renee Montoya, as well as Yip are driving down. Uh, the Joker bot hits the, Hits the bridge, the car goes flying, uh, Jim ends up, he ends up catching the car and saves it, um, and then they get out of the car, uh, Bullock pulls Montoya out of the car, and, uh, as Montoya says, we need to get Yip, we need to find out what she knows, and Harvey says, nope, it's too late for that, pulls out a lighter, lights it up, and blows the car up. Montoya says, what did we just do? And Bullock says, there's no going back after this. Meanwhile, across town, we see the circus. We have a bunch of people. There's a, they, they say they're short, a performer. Um, and we see that there is a sniper rifle above, basically somewhere in the, uh, the trapeze work. Uh, there's a sniper rifle to take somebody out. Across town, we see Montoya and Bullock yelling at each other back and forth um, about what they what Bullock just did. Uh, back with Batman, he is again going after the Joker bot. Very easily disarms it, and Joker's daughter f- jumps out right as it's about to explode and says, "That's not fair. I wasn't ready." And Batman slaps her across the face and says, "You're not the Joker. You're not his legacy. You're just a crazed." person who bought herself a ticket to Arkham, um, so, but, you, but you're not cut out for Gotham. Uh, meanwhile, across town at the circus, we see Bullock bursting through the circus tent door, driving straight in with his car as the person with the sniper rifle is trying to take somebody out, what appears to be the uh, Carlos Alvarez and 
the t- the two cops that work for MCU, mm-hmm. uh, Alvarez and I believe Keys. Keys is the other one. Uh, it looks like that's who they're trying to take out. Batman bursts through the top of the tent and he sets off an EMP. The lights go out and all of a sudden, you know, our, our great, uh, red and blue police lights on the bat suit start lighting up and he says, show's over, everyone out. And, uh, they, he specifically goes after the person, uh, who is got the sniper rifle. Um, we then see kind of the afterthoughts. Uh, we see Joker's daughter in Arkham. We see Bullock talking to Gordon and it says, you know, I, you know, uh, Gordon says, how do you like your new partner? And he says, you know, I, I, I'll be working fine with Montoya. We also find out that he didn't actually kill Yip. He allowed Yip to look like she was dead so that she could start a new life, um, somewhere away from Gotham since she can no longer be a cop and Falcone most likely will come after her if he knows that she's still alive. So Montoya and Bullock are still partners. And that's pretty much the extent of it. Uh, Bullock comments on Gordon getting rid of the Mohawk that he had at the beginning of this all, all these stories. And that's the gist. Next month, Justice League. Detective Comics number 44. Don't have a lot to talk about. I think the Joker's daughter, well, I can, let's, let's real quickly. Joker's daughter, I don't have a lot to say about this. It, it was basically like this thing in the background that had nothing to do with anything because other than just her appearing and her occupying Batman, there was really no point for her to even be around, nor was there any point for the robot to be there. No, it served no purpose at all. The, purpose, the only purpose that, car- that that robot served was breaking the bridge to basically cause the gasoline in the car to be out so Bullock could light it up. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm still not 100% sure why they, they went this way with the Joker's daughter. I will say that the the kind of interaction when Jim kind of puts her down is kind of entertaining. You know, <laughs> I mean the the you know you're just nuts. Like you're not yeah. important. You're just crazy, which is how I think that a lot of us feel. So maybe that was something that the our storytellers wanted to get off their chest. But um, <laughs> you know, even if that's all it was, I, I mean, I kind of enjoyed that that part of it. Although there didn't seem to be a hard and fast reason for it to be there. Certainly, I thought she was a fan favorite, though. I mean, she pops right. up so often. Uh, I do have to say, I think one of the good purposes that she served, though, you know, we could have had some other character, is the fact that there was sort of this terrorism aspect going on because we had the La Morte gang take down Batman and we saw, you know, that the suit itself has weaknesses and they stole that core. And so everything was built up, I think, around that core and... You know, the idea that Gotham could explode um, was an interesting idea that there was some sort of terrorist running around. I think it was just poorly executed in the choice of character that, for some reason, the La Muerte gang would take seriously. And, um, yeah, it's it just uh, – I, I guess it, it's, it goes to show you. I think, you know – let me have these words that come out of my mouth. <laughs> I, I feel like in every Batman – thing that we have seen, whether it's cartoons or movies, someone always mentions the fact that there needs to be a Joker with the Batman. And so perhaps this was the way to show that Batman does in fact need a Joker and Joker's daughter tried to take it upon herself to be that person for the Commissioner Gordon. But it did uh it did turn out pretty funny, I think, when 
he just basically stamps her down very quickly. Um, but yeah, no one, no one, who wants her around? I want someone to write in a comment and explain to me, um, why they like them if they do. Or no her, sorry. So but let's, let's just reword that. Anybody out there who has yeah. thoughts of as to why the Joker's daughter keeps appearing, <laughs> whether you like her or not, yeah. just thoughts on why you think she keeps appearing, send those comments in. That, that would be great to have a discussion on that. Yeah. Not, not really, but I will read them. Okay. <laughs> the, uh, the other thing to talk about is Bullock. You kind of see Bullock, uh, he's got a new step in, he's got a new direction with his life. You know, Yip is basically gone. He no longer has his girlfriend, but at the same time, he faked her death so that she could get away and start a new life somewhere else, not have to worry about Montoya investigating her or Gordon investigating her or Falcone coming or one of the Falcone members coming after her. Um, so we have her disappearing. We have Bullock officially being partnered with Montoya for the future. Um, and then we have Gordon and Bullock kind of sharing a moment at the end where they're basically like, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's great to do what we're doing, even though we're both doing it in different ways. It's great that we're doing what we want to do. Um, which in some ways is, is reassuring, but is this really the end that you expected from the beginning of Buccioletto and Manipool focusing on Bullock from the very beginning? With the ending here? Yes, because this is it. I mean, I mean, Manipool hasn't been on the issue for the last two issues, but this is the last issue for Buccioletto. So, I mean, like, is this a really a great way for them to go off since they've been on the book for over a year? No, I don't feel like it's a great way for them to go off. Um... I don't know. It it feels kind of the, the, the this whole last deal since Super Heavy, since we've had the the, the Gordon Batman, kind of seems anticlimactic to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's nice to get Renee back and get Renee and, and uh, Bullock as partners again. I mean, that's that's good for them to do that. Um, but the rest of it, especially the post conversion stuff with with Yip and the betrayal, and I don't know, it just it wasn't terribly rote or anything. I just felt like it was anticlimactic. Yeah, and. You know, I, I can't even say that this is their their ending because Manipool wasn't really even credited on this particular story, was he? It was just Buccellato. Yeah. So so that's a, a bummer. And we lost him as an artist, though. The art didn't – I mean, the art was fine, no doubt. But um, I, I really love Manipool's art. But I just think back to the way the story started out. And I remember we had a gang in the beginning and we had Mad Hatter potential. We had anarchy. We had all these amazing little things that were being set up. And especially we had Bullock. And I think he was really becoming the, the star of this. And it was really about the relationship between Bullock and Batman and how it's very give and take and learning more about Bullock personally. And then unfortunately with this whole end game thing, the new Batman comes and he sort of steals the show from Bullock. And I feel like this issue redeemed it slightly just because at the very end you have, you know, that moment between Bullock and Montoya. So perhaps we're getting back to sort of the Gotham Central esque storytelling. But I, I do feel like end game almost like twisted the, uh, the end point that that these two creators had, and and there are all these threads that are left open that I don't know if they're ever going to be picked up again. 
Well, based off of our experience throughout the New 52, anytime a creator leaves and has threads open, they very, very rarely get picked yeah. up. Honestly, probably the one series that has done a good job of picking stuff up is the Batgirl team. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've actually picked up things that Simone kind of left open-ended. Yep. And that really hasn't happened in a lot of other books that have gotten creator nope. changes. So, that being said, the, I mean, my, my, my feelings are this, you know, there's been some people that I, I've read some reviews online and people have complained about how ever since Manipul and Buccioletto took over the book, they focused a lot more on Harvey, but they didn't make Harvey that interesting. He was just, he was a guy and he was there really? and we were reading about him, but he wasn't that interesting. I've actually seen that a, a bunch. And then a lot of people were really complaining once Convergence was over and they got back into Detective. And, you know, to a degree, the complaints after Convergence, when Super Heavy started and they were had to use Jim Gordon in the new Batsuit, they had to do the reaction of, you know, from Bullock and do the different direction. We've already said multiple times, and this is honestly the last time we're ever going to say it, we've already said they, they probably were kneecapped and this is not the story that they wanted to tell or this is not the story that they, you know, that they were planning, but they had to do it because of the, the status quo change that happened. And there really wasn't anything about it. I mean, that's why Manipool was off the book after two issues after that. And Buccioletto here, it's not even, you know, it's only four issues in and he's off the book now too. So the reality of it is this is probably not what they wanted to do. I mean, we assume there was other things that they wanted to, to go back to, especially with the uh, biker gang, the daughter of the, you know, the daughter that was potentially we were looking at and saying, well, is this character going to end up becoming a, Atlante, is this character going to become a villain? What's the deal here? You know, there's a lot of different things that, you know, are basically completely left open, but we probably probably will never, ever actually see any kind of resolution with these things because this isn't the way they wanted to go. And that's also probably why, and the other reason behind that is probably why there really wasn't any sort of announcement that Peter Tomasi was coming on the book because these creators, Buccioletto and Manipul, kind of just left and they're like, well, this is it. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna do what we already have solicited. But after that, we're done. Yeah, I, and I thought that their run on Detective was certainly going to be a lot longer than it ended up being. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I thought it was going to be hopefully two or three years. So yeah, it's did a lot of cool things with the book. The art was always amazing, and it's kind of sad to see him go so early. But I, I do like Tomasi's work, so I am looking forward to it. So that being said. Detective Comics number 44. I hate to do this to a creative team as they're on their way out, but I'm only going to give this two out of five bad ones. I'm going to give it three out of five. I will up you both and say 3.5 out of five. All right. And over on the website, Corbin gave it two, so that's going to give Detective Comics number 44 a total of three out of five bad ranks. Let's move into our next book, Batman number 44. Okay, Batman number 44, writer Scott Snyder, artist Jock. Um, this story opens up in Gotham City after the end of Zero Year. Uh, Batman is investigating a body that has been dropped outside the city line. Uh, the gentleman has been shot, but it was a great fall that killed him. Uh, Batman is then joined by Commissioner Gordon, who assures him that no one flies over this area anymore since the GCPD put their fleet of blimps into mothballs. They believe that he was thrown off of a helicopter or another flying device. Batman quickly eliminates the names of many of his villains from his list and settles on Penguin. 
He goes to question Cobblepot, but Cobblepot swears that he has no involvement, but Batman scares him into giving up the story of Peter Digio, the name of the dead boy. Peter came to Cobblepot and wanted to do business. His owner, owner owns a shop uh, in the city of town and the area of town that is controlled by um, a lot of the gangs. Cobblepot says he did agree to go to business with the boy, but he did not kill him. Batman decides to investigate the street gang that was mentioned by Cobblepot, and after a fight, he gets to the leader of the gang, who tells him that he never would have had access to a helicopter anyway. He does admit to being in a fight uh, with the kid, but that was it. Batman then tracks down Ned Howler, a crooked cop who does admit to drawing on the kid and shooting him on accident. He thought he'd killed him and ran off, and when he came back, the kid was gone. Um, but he said that, you know, he didn't throw him off of anything. Uh, Batman then goes to the hospital where Peter's cousin tells him that Peter uh, wanted to change the neighborhood for the better and told Peter to go to Bruce Wayne for help, but he can never get to Bruce Wayne. Um, we then also see him tell the story, tell Batman the story of a place called Blossom Row, which is still overgrown, overgrown from the vegetation in Zerier. They say there's a man waiting there for you to give you, give you something. We see that Peter went there and met with who we now know to be Mr. Bloom, who gives him a vial to drink. Um, Batman investigates Peter's blood and finds traces of Kirk Langstrom's man-bat formula, or a variation of it. Um, he gives the go, then goes to Blossom Row, but by now everything is gone. He realizes that Peter had taken the formula and turned into a man-bat, and that the formula had faded and given out on him, and he returned to normal form while he was flying, and he fell to his death. I guess the first question is, this is a really kind of classic Batman detective story. What did you think of the mystery that we were presented with here, and did anyone figure out what had happened before the name Kirk Langstrom got dropped? No, I did not figure out... Okay, well, I have to say, I did not figure out what exactly happened until they said the Kirk Langstrom. But we knew going into this, based off the solicitation and the fact that it was hinted at before, that we were going to learn something about Mr. Bloom... And we know that Mr. Bloom in the previous issues has had some sort of formula or concoction that people have drank and they've gotten some sort of power. So I assumed that it would eventually lead to something regarding him. And that's why it was these weird steps slowly leading to this, you know, this character. Because this character, we were, that's what we all walked into this story thinking we were going to learn about. We didn't really learn anything about the character, to be quite honest. He just kind of, kind of figured out where he was from, where he set up shop after zero year, but we don't really know anything about the character, which is what I thought we were going to learn here. But th there's nothing bad about that. So did I learn, did I know what happened regarding the wings? No, but I figured it had something to do with Mr. Bloom ahead of time. I also did not, actually I was scratching my head until the last five pages, um, trying to figure out how this all worked into the current storyline. And I thought it was one of those like off little one shots and then we'd get back to the story. So I was completely, um, thrown for a loop. Um, I did not connect with, uh, Langstrom. And it's funny because now, you know, he's a character in Gotham Academy. So he's doing stuff over there. Question, who was the professor who worked with Joker with, and the, um, that oh, wasn't uh, Langstrom, was uh, it? Oh, uh, Crazy Quill. Crazy Quill. Yeah. Okay, okay. I just wanted to be sure that wasn't Langstrom and he was being connected back yet again. Uh, no, but Langstrom, thank God, because they've, they're basically, especially with him appearing in Gotham Academy, they're basically ignoring what happened in Detective Comics. Uh, probably it is for the best. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, short answer, no, I didn't see that. I didn't, I didn't figure it out until they, the Kirk Langstrom 
name got dropped. But uh, after they did drop it, I thought it was, I think it was clever, you know. Um, it was nice to have this kind of one-issue story, as a, you know. Um, but no, I, I didn't get it either. I was just wondering if any, any of you guys had picked up on something that I must have missed. Uh, and really, the only other second thing I really have about the story is this is supposed to be the kind of like Dustin touched on. Do you feel like this adds to the overall super heavy story? Or do you feel like this is really just a standalone where they just plugged Mr. Bloom? Or do you feel like this does add? Does this make you feel like that Mr. Bloom has been around? And does it add any real meaning to super heavy? Or is this just a great Capullo need to take off a month? So let's take a sidestep story. You know, it's really weird because this is such a weird spot for Capullo to take a, take a month off. And the reason being is he had two months off, not even six months ago. He had two months off for convergence where he didn't do anything. And a lot of people are going to say, well, the, you know, the Batman number was at 40 came out at the end of April. Yes, but it was supposed to be solicited for the beginning or at the end of March. That's when it was supposed to come out. They just delayed it. They, you know, they might have made it a little bit longer. I don't know. I don't understand. I don't know what his contract entails as far as like how many pages he's, you know, he's allowed to do based off of, because I'm sure that's it, because that's why he has to have all of these weird random one month off things here and there is because he has, he has something in his contract where he's only contracted to do like 30 pages and they keep doing some of these issues where they're 40 pages. So they have to like make up the, for the fact that he's, you know, he's doing more pages than he's supposed to or something. I don't know, but having two months off for convergence and now three months later having another or four months later having another issue off makes absolutely no sense to me at all, except for the page count. And it's something to do with his contract. That being said, this issue, I don't really feel like it adds anything to super heavy at all. Uh, you know, the Mr. Bloom thing popping at the end, it could have been somebody completely different. It could have been, they could have taken Mr. Bloom out. They could have put in Poison Ivy mm-hmm. and what difference would it have really made? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they've said multiple times or Snyder has said in interviews that Mr. Bloom is not like Poison Ivy. He doesn't have control over plants. He just is some sort of guy who uses plants to create chemicals to do these you know, to give powers, but he doesn't have any, he's not like poison ivy. He just has, you know, he just has plants. So the thing is, knowing that he's not supposed to be like poison ivy, they could have just taken him out. And, you know, that guy goes to some place and poison ivy gives him the formula because in Snyder's run, poison ivy was a scientist who worked at Wayne Enterprises. So it could have been poison ivy. You know, there's not really that big of a difference that really needs it to be Mr. Bloom. So it doesn't really add anything. Now, I'm not saying it was a bad story. And I'm sure that's your next question. But the the thing is, it doesn't add anything to super, to super heavy. It's just kind of here. And Stella's got a, you know, she, you know, she said she didn't even know. She thought that this going into this, this, this could have been one of those like random one shot issues that has nothing to do with anything. Like we've seen so many times in the past that Snyder writes, but Capullo doesn't do the art for. And... I actually saw some people online say that they thought this was similar to the way Batman number 28 was, where they thought reading it, it was somehow leading into Batman and Robin Eternal because it was so weirdly out of place as far as the story goes. And to a degree, I mean, I guess their thoughts are if Capullo actually does leave after issue 50 and they need to wrap this up by issue 50, they don't want Capullo to have, you know, 48 off. 
you know, if he has to have one more issue before 50, now is the time to have the one issue because they're going to get into the nitty gritty of the story arc and they're not going to be able to have him just disappear or disappear and not continue telling the story. So I don't know. In my, in my opinion, it's not a good place for this, this story. I, I totally agree. And it was great to see when I saw Jock's name, I, I got totally excited because I thought, Oh, this, this could be really good. But once it started, I just felt like it seemed like a different Snyder too. Um, I mean, it was wordy as he is, but I, I just felt like it, it felt really different. And when it was time displaced, you know, back right after zero year, it just felt really off because we had been focusing. I think the problem is that you go from having Gordon as the lead with Batman, well, with Bruce Wayne, you know, in a weird state. We don't really know what's going on there. And then all of a sudden you come back and Bruce Wayne is Batman. I think that was the problem because once you get in a certain mindset as a reader and month after month, you're, you're getting used to this idea that yes, Commissioner Gordon is Batman. And then you go back. That's hard. I, I, I honestly think that's pretty hard. So I didn't like this issue as much for that particular reason. It felt like, remember those times when we were reading an arc and then you would have to stop. I guess this was mostly happening to the tertiary books like Backbone and Birds of Prey, but you'd have to stop and then there'd be a Gothtopia tie-in and then you'd go back and then you'd have to stop and there'd be a villain's year. <laughs> so it just reminded me of that, that we were on this arc and we got pulled back for some reason. And really, the point of the whole thing, I would say, was the last five pages or so with Mr. Bloom in the garden with his seeds and and everything else you could have gotten rid of. But, I, yeah, it almost felt like an annual to me, like just because they can sort of do whatever they want and it somehow connects in a way. But I, I had to check that I had the right issue. I was like, oh, it does say it's 44. So, yeah. Yeah, I kind of, um, I kind of echo what you guys say. It's, uh, the story itself is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's actually kind of interesting, but it does seem really out of place. Um, I don't like these kind of constant, um, pausing of the storyline. It, it drives me absolutely crazy. I don't mind if you want to do these, like, when this story is over, then I think that this would be a good place to do this. And I think that if they had shown this one first, before the first issue of Super Heavy, it would have worked okay. But I don't, I, I think that the placement of it is, is kind of just bizarre where it is. So yeah, um, that's really all I got for it though. Okay. And I just have to say, despite the fact that it was what it was, and the timing of it didn't make a lot of sense. The story itself was really good. It reminded okay. me a lot of Snyder's stuff on Detective Comics when he was with Jock. That's what it reminded me of. And I thought it was really, really good. You know, it, to a degree, it almost felt like this is what I've been asking for and he gave it to us. You know, the one shot that he did with Gary Duggan last August was the same thing. It was a very good one shot issue that he did. And it shows that he can do smaller stories. He just, chooses not to and it's a shame because i like the smaller stories and i think i've liked a lot of the smaller stories that he's written compared to oh yeah in the longer story arcs. so all right that being said uh batman number 44 i'm going to give a total of four out of five batteries you know all i actually am kind of in the in the, in the car with dust on this i thought the story itself was <laughs> really we're all going to the same place you know uh i thought it was really good it was 
it's nice to have, um, this sounds so terrible. It's nice to have a, a good normal detective story back in Batman. Um, I give it four out of five as well. And I'm, I, I got dropped off at a gas station <laughs> and they just drove me behind because I'm going to give it a three. Oh, that is, that is such a weird description. We dropped you off at the gas station and then drove you behind. No. <laughs> so we dropped you off and then we tied you to the I bumper and just dragged you along. Behind. Did I say drove you behind? Yes, you did. It was I'm very sorry. strange. I'm I was sorry. thinking like the, the dog from National Lampoons. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you left me behind. You left me behind the gas station because you didn't want um to deal with me anymore. All right. And over on the website, Corbin gave it five. Whoa. So, so if you want to know why he gave it five, he actually gave a great description of why he was so connected to this story. Uh, be sure to head over to the website. So that's going to give Batman number 44 a total of four out of five Batarangs. That is all of our in-depth books. Let's jump over to the website for all of our latest TBU other books that we have. All right, so running down the list, Batman Beyond number four, reviewed by Jim. He gave it four out of five. Um, the big gist of this is Tim gets to the Batcave. He starts mm-hmm. seeing some of the stuff that, you know, he didn't, he, he's starting to commit to connect some of the dots as to from his timeline to the future of timeline of Batman Beyond. So check that out. Batman Arkham Knight number eight. Uh, this is collects digital chapters number 22 through 24. This was reviewed by Ryan. He gave it three and a half out of five. This is dealing with Batman dealing with the Suicide Squad or Task Force mm-hmm. S as they're referred to in the book with Deadshot, Harley Quinn, and Captain Boomerang. Um, so check that out. Midnighter number four reviewed by Gary. He gave it three and a half out of five. Midnighter teams up with Dick Grayson as he continues to find the God Guarding Tech Thief. All right. Uh, next up, Batmite number four reviewed by Bill. He gave it three out of five. Batmite teams up with Booster Gold or gets thrusted into a team up with Booster Gold is a better way to put it. Uh, next up, DC Comics Bombshell number two, which collects digital chapters number four through six, was reviewed by our very own Stella. Mm-hmm. And she gave it two and a half out of five. Stella, you want to give us a brief recap? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, it did not hold steady with the, the first issue. Uh, we continue the story with Wonder Woman, who meets up with um, Mira, and they help Steve escape, and they go to uh, potentially fight in the war. We also keep going with uh, Kara and Courtney, and in the end, the, the Russian government decides to use Kara as their agents, and then we introduce Zatanna and, would you believe, Joker's daughter, oh, and uh, Zatanna is a nightclub singer, and it seems like she's undercover, and John Constantine uh, teams up, but unfortunately, same writer but different artists each issue, and it just doesn't hold up as well as the first issue. Now, funny thing, I read, I remember reading your review, uh-huh. and then I happened to see something that I wanted to comment on. Uh-oh. So two two things that I noticed. Uh, so Joker's daughter, she makes an appearance, yeah. probably because the person who made Joker's daughter kind of propelled into somewhat of a popularity of stance that DC considers the character to be. Margot Bennett, she actually wrote those Villains Uh-oh. issues in Villains Month, and she wrote that Joker's Daughter one-shot as well. Oh, no. So that's most likely why she's popped up in DC Comics Bombshells. Okay. Um, I also noticed uh, uh, Bennett actually made a comment on Twitter talking about, I think it was on Twitter, talking about her artist 
each chapter will in fact have a different artist going forward. It's not going to be like the first three chapters. They're going to have an, every time they're focusing on a specific, specific character, it will be a different artist. So I'm sure that none of these chapters actually are going to combine until way further down the road. Okay. So figured I'd just mention that out. Thank you. No problem. All right. Next up, Batman Superman number 24. This was reviewed by Bill. He gave it three and a half out of five. Uh, in the last issue, issue 23, Aquaman was teamed with uh, this person called Uker, which uh, was a person who was obsessed with this fake son that was part, that was over at Wayne Tech. Um, Jim Gordon has been teaming up with Clark Kent. Neither one of them really want to work with each other because neither one of them trust each other. And Aquaman actually teamed with this Uker person because he believed that it was a good thing. Didn't turn out to be a good thing. Spoiler alert there. Um, and uh, at the end of the story, basically Jim Gordon and Clark Kent go their separate ways. And that's the, the gist of it. But we it was revealed that the villain for the next story arc will be Vandal Savage. Next up, Catwoman number 44, reviewed by Gary. He gave it a total of 4 out of 5. Catwoman is dealing with... Iko uh, Hasawaga uh, dealing, or she's, sure. she has been cat, uh, acting as Catwoman, and the and Roman Sionis is convinced that the he has convinced a number of the gang families that Catwoman is in leagues with the Hasawaga family, and that's not doing well. And the of the Hasawaga family actually gets killed by Black Mask at the end of the issue, and. Bad things abound. Uh, Killer Croc also makes an appearance. It's kind of like a partner for Catwoman, but not like what we saw in Batman Eternal, where he's walking around dressed like a slave. Mm -hmm. Just putting that out there. All right, next up. Can I just say on Killer? I I think that Killer Croc is really entering an awesome phase, and I'm really whenever he pops up now, I just feel like they've developed him into an actual good character more than just someone who eats man. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Like I, I'm excited, and and I hope that it continues. It honestly just depends on where he's used and yeah. how how he's used. Because in Eternal, there was points where like he was an interesting character, but then they kind of just like threw him to the side and mm-hmm. said, "Okay, you're just going to be this person who's basically the, the slave for a Catwoman," which made no sense. But like you go back to J.H. Williams' Batman Batwoman run, Killer Croc was presented as this person who like ran the sewers, he was the king of the sewers, and it was interesting, that, it was interesting, and the stuff that they're doing with Killer, well, the stuff that they just did with Killer Croc in this Catwoman issue, and this month and last month, both were very good, so, that, you know, it, it, they always do this, where like, there are certain things, we talked about Kirk Langstrom earlier, there are certain times where they don't really work with these characters in a good way, and it's just, it just depends on which creator gets a hold of them, and yeah. whether or not we end up liking it. Mm-hmm. Alright, next up, Harley Quinn Road Trip Special Number One, reviewed by Gary. He gave it a total of four out of five. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this. I, I went on record multiple times and said I wasn't gonna describe an issue, but I will describe this issue. Oh! Yes, because this one was a little bit easier to understand. <laughs> so basically the gist of this issue is that Harley Quinn gets a call saying that her uncle's passed away and her uncle's remains are in Los Angeles and they need to come to, uh, New York, if I remember, somewhere in New York, uh, to be laid rest next to his wife. So Harley, Ivy, and Catwoman go, take a plane to L.A., then they get the remains, and in the process, they also somehow inherit an Airstream trailer and a convertible, 
and they decide to go on a tr- road trip to go to bring the remains back to, you know, Gotham City, New York, or whatever. That all happened. Uh, a bunch of hijinks ensued. Their Airstream got demolished or it flipped. Um, they ended up getting picked up by a Native American who had peyote aid, um, which gave them a, you know, a drug trip. Um, and there was, there was that. There was plenty of sexual innuendo throughout oh. the entire issue. Oh, yeah. And then they eventually make their way back. So overall, the reason I am giving this is I'm, I'm, actually going on about this is because it was a little bit like it was still the zaniness that is the Harley Quinn main series but I liked the idea that they teamed Catwoman and Ivy basically making it the sirens again which was kind of cool um the one downfall about this was that the relationships between Selina and Harley and uh, Harley and Ivy were great but Selina and Ivy not so much so it is what it is so take a look at that review over on the website as well Gotham Academy, number 10, reviewed by Gary. He gave it three and a half out of five. So Olive knows that her mother's, her mother's villain name is Calamity. In this issue, we actually find out that she's not the only villain's daughter attending Gotham Academy as, uh, Basil Carlo's daughter, uh, Caroline Carlo or Catherine. Catherine yeah. Catherine Carlo is actually there and Clayface makes an appearance in the issue as he's going after the drama director, the drama teacher. Who's directing a play that all of the, Simon Trent, aka the Grey yes, Ghost? Yes, uh, he he is there, and uh, Clayface goes after him because he stole a number of different things, some roles. His wife, I believe, they also said so. <laughs> and they're directing yeah. uh, Macbeth. Macbeth. Yes. All right. Next up, Red Hood Arsenal number four, reviewed by Jim. He gave it four and a half out of five. Uh, this issue actually brings Red Hood, or, uh, Jason and Roy to Gotham City, and the issue has them going f- to try to find Underbelly because Jason's convinced that Underbelly, who's a the villain in the series right now, all comes back to Gotham City. As they get to Gotham City to find this Underbelly character, in turn they run into the Jim Gordon Batman and a fight ensues. And that will continue on into the next issue as well. Uh, next, New Suicide Squad number 12, also reviewed by Jim. He gave it five. And in this issue, we see a number of different things. There was a lot of character development for a lot of the different characters. Black Manta, as we have been seeing for multiple issues, has kind of come to peace and wants to be a part or seemingly a part of this new branch off, uh, League of Assassins from the League of Assassins, and uh, he's probably trying to be a part of it. Reverse Flash is has absolutely no way of communicating with the the base of operations, and it appears that he might get his little thing in the back of his head uh, detonated, and he might end up getting killed if he doesn't solve solve the problem real quick because he can't communicate with the people back at the base. Um, we also have Harley, who is imprisoned with a number of children after talking to the children and going from completely hating the, the characters to actually making the children laugh. She just, she comes up with an escape plan to get them all out. Uh, it involves the children laughing hysterically, causing the guard to come in where she ends up killing the guard and chopping his hand off and murdering him all while laughing maniacally and then bringing all of the children to absolute terror in the process. And then finally, we have Justice League United number 13. And this is, of course, the first time we've had Justice League United number, uh, 
Justice League United reviewed on the website. Part of the reason we needed to make sure we got it reviewed this time around was because Batgirl is actually part of this current story arc. If you haven't been reading Justice League United, basically the gist of everything that's been happening in this title is that every story arc, the core members of the Justice League United, they bring in a number of characters from other areas of the DC Universe. So Batgirl is part of the team this time around, um, but they are dealing with um, Enemy Ace has appeared, uh, Sergeant Rock has tr- somehow traveled through time to deal with Vandal Savage, um, because Savage is also part of the team this time around as well. So there's a lot of unique things going on in the story, so definitely take a look at that title if you haven't already. Poison Ivy was part of the last story arc um, that that also was the, the previous story arc. Um, the only other book that we haven't, that we didn't have covered on the website was Earth 2 Society number 4, so take a look at that as well. So that is all of our books for this episode. Now we're going to jump into our listener Q&As. <laughs> Boy, did you get a wrong number. Leave your message at the sound of the shriek. No, please, don't! <laughs> so, very first thing we have as far as listener Q&As is uh, over on our Facebook page from Bob. And I have to say, Bob, I appreciate your comments. Please leave your comments over on the website because I think last episode I missed your comments because they were on the Facebook page and I wasn't paying attention. And this time around, it just so happened that I remembered. But leave your comment. If you if you and everyone else who's trying to leave comments for the episode can please leave them on the website. That is very greatly appreciated. But Bob says... Interesting hearing Ed's top 10. As a person who A, asked for this, and B, was never a monthly reader before the New 52, I'm glad to finally get the list. Really want to hear Dustin's, though. Interestingly, my own top 10, which has a lot to do with my own collection, interest includes mostly the same books, but in a different order. Haven't read The Cult or No Man's Land, but while I really like Hush, I'm almost disappointed to hear Ed's list and Hush at the top, because that makes me feel like I've probably... Already read most of the good stuff. Also interesting that Court of Owls and Death of the Family are both here. Very fresh in most people's minds. And maybe, maybe he boosts those stories because they're recent. That I'm, not that I'm saying they aren't great stories, but if that's the case, Ed is also effectively anointing Snyder as the GOAT Batman writer. That's the greatest of all time for those non-hip hop heads. I'm inferring a lot, but basically mainly wanted to say thanks. Been curious to hear a list like this for a while. One other quick thing, I think you guys may be wrong about Batgirl, my local comic shop, a lot of, around my local comic shop, a lot of people, including myself, are reading that book now that never were. I don't know what the sales are like, but maybe they lost a lot of readers and gained new ones, so the figures might look similar, but I would never have been a Batgirl reader. I'm enjoying that book more than Batman right now, and it encouraged me to start reading Grayson, Gotham Academy, Black Black Canary, and others. So there is something to that Batgirlification scenario. I do think DC saw a response they liked in a sector of their sales, and this did have an impact on an editorial mandate. And guys, I think, and just let's just say in plain devil's advocate, because I don't want to start an anger thing, just a discussion, I think we may have to consider that the fact that Batman, the main book right now, is terrible. I have not spoken with many people in real life or online that have any interest in the Veritech Gundam Bunny or whatever oh, adjective you, you prefer. It's not the reason I pick up Batman. I'm interested in Bruce and how his life plays out 
and the intellectual debate over what Batman is to him, to his friends, or and to Gotham. I don't want to read a book about Jim Gordon in a mech suit, or if I did, I would want it to be called Gotham Central and still have the Bruce-centric Batman book. Marvel's got its share of problems right now. I think what people are responding to in the media at the moment that there is a perception that this Convergence and Secret War were basically the same event across two companies, and the response to Convergence was negative and didn't seem to have an impact, while as Secret Wars books have been really interesting and have a lasting impact. This fall, the entire Marvel U will took will look really different for better or for worse, but it's definitely a new environment which with interesting new characters based on what happened during Secret Wars. Okay, I'm spent. All right, so... Obviously, lots, lots to cover there. Uh, the main thing I want to talk about is the, you know, the Snyder, the, the Batman book is terrible. Now, the reality of it is, I'm not the, the biggest fan of what's going on in Batman. I, I'm more of not a fan of how it's leaked into all of the other books and how Detective Comics can, you know, potentially got, had to go in a different direction because of that. But the main thing is, I have heard from a variety of people that they do not like it. But I have heard from a variety of much more majority of people that they do like it. Our very own Jim, who reviews books over on the website, he has said that he has he doesn't like the, the direction that Batman's currently in. And, you know, there's there's other people as well that, you know, aren't really enjoying the direction that Batman is in with Gordon inside of a Batsuit. But I think for the most part, it's split. I mean, and it's probably split more for people who are liking it in the majority. But that all being said, I don't really think it really makes a difference as long as the stories are good. I don't want Gordon in the suit. I want more of a focus on Bruce Wayne. But if the stories are good, then, you know, it's something good to read. That's all that really makes a difference to me in the long run. But I'm not really, I'm not enjoying it as much as, you know, some of the the previous stuff that we've read in the past. So that all being said, I think that's the only thing I'm going to compare to. I don't really want to get into the Marvel stuff. I can't really speak to that. Uh, you did mention that you want to hear my list. Trust me, your it will come. List? It, no, no. I'd love to hear no. Dustin's Marvel list. Yeah. yeah, my Marvel list. Uh, uh, I like that here it Thor is. movie. Here, here yeah. it is. Wait, 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 wait. Here it is right now. Here it is. Breaking news. Here it is. Breaking news. I have a blank piece of paper in my hand. All right, moving on. Uh, no, for my top 10 list of my, you know, the books I'm going to suggest, it is coming. It will come in the future. Just, it's not here right now. Uh, we do have a list, another top 10 list to cover in a little while, if I can get through all these listener Q&A. So, any comments about Bob's remarks? Well, to his comment about me essentially anointing Snyder the goat, I wouldn't say that I would say he's the greatest, but I think he's in the discussion. And, words, and I just hear Dustin like sort of drinking water like a man. Yeah, in other words, Ed is anointing him that because I don't... Okay, well, Ed, here's the better discussion point. Right. If Snyder's not it to you, who is? Morrison's pretty high. I mean... To me, it would be Morrison and Snyder, really. I mean, all, all kidding aside, and I've never sat down and done a pros and cons list. Um, Morrison did a lot more stuff, plus he did stuff like Arkham Asylum, which is one of my favorite stories, uh, which wasn't directed, wasn't part of his, what we think of as the Grant Morrison Batman story, you know what I'm saying? So he's done a lot more things with the character, but I think those are two are, are, are the ones that would, would stand out to me, honestly. I mean... You know who else would be, I'd have to put in the list too, if we were making a short list, would be Jeff Loeb. I mean, yeah, he did, yeah, look at a lot. Long he's Halloween, a Dark Victory, Haunted Night, Hush. and Hush. Yeah. That's, I mean, like, it's like you with Azarella. 
He hasn't done a ton, but those are all pretty good, you know. Yeah. So yeah, there's a short list. Um, I don't, I, I don't have Steiner on top of, but I, I do think he's in with this group of really good creators. All right, so moving over to the website, Caleb says a few weeks ago you guys were discussing which characters from the pre New Fifty Two you would like to see introduced in the New Fifty Two. That conversation got me thinking about a few characters that I really enjoy reading that might have been introduced but haven't really been used in the story arc. Now, I really only read Batman and Detective Comics, so forgive me if I'm just unaware of a story from a different series, but I do try to keep up with the universe by listening to you guys. But Mr. Freeze is the first one that comes to mind. Aside from Snyder rewriting his origin in Batman Annual Number 1, which almost ruined the character in my opinion, and that needs to be undone, we haven't seen him aside from a small appearance in Arkham Manor. Do you guys have any other characters... In quote, in uh, parentheses, aside from Tim Drake, Ed, that you feel should be used more or would like to see used better in a story. Thanks for your time and all the hard work. All right. So, well, I will say this. Mr. Freeze, outside of that Batman annual, he actually was, he was a villain or he was a character that was used for, I want to say like six issues in Red Hood and the Outlaws. Um, and I want to say it was, not right away. I want to say it was like the second story arc in Red Hood and the Outlaws. Um, that was one of the other places he appeared. Um, he was also dealt with in Talon um, and Birds of Prey, but n- nothing like remarkably memorable in e- any of those. But that's those are some of the other appearances he's made in the New 52 since he appeared in that Batman annual. But um, other characters I'd like to see used... Uh... You know, I'd say Renee Montoya if, if it wasn't for her just appearing in Detective Comics because I think she was one of the characters that hadn't appeared but needed to appear. Um, and there was, I can't remember who I was having this discussion with, but there's a list of characters that feels like they, they have brought back or they introduce, but then they just like kind of like fade into the black and Stephanie Brown, she's made a couple appearances in, she was in, she was in Catwoman this month. Um, she was in, wasn't she in the Batgirl annual too? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She was in the Batgirl annual. So, I mean, like she's had a couple appearances since Eternal ended, but that's it. Uh, we haven't seen Vicki Vale at all since the end of Eternal. We haven't seen James Gordon Jr. since, uh, Simone left Batgirl. Uh, there's a lot of different characters that, you know, they introduce, they use them as a plot device, and then they just kind of forget them, and they don't use them anymore. And I feel like that happens, that happened a lot in Eternal. Oh, I know. I was talking with Terry about this because of Batwoman and Batwing. Both of their series were canceled, but they really haven't really been used that much. I mean, Luke Fox is being used in Batgirl right now, but that we, at the end of Eternal, he was the guy we all thought was going to be working with Corrigan and potentially the Midnight Shift in Gotham by Midnight, or Gotham After Midnight, because of the uh, supernatural stuff that he dealt with. But he basically has disappeared from the face of the earth. Uh, they did the same thing with Talon. Uh, Talon, the series ended, and other than just a small cameo at the end of Eternal, he has been missing. And I'm not saying any of these characters are characters that I really need to see. But at the same time, it feels like unless they do something really, really memorable with any of any character, regardless of who it is, it's almost like, well, what's the point of having the character used in the first place? You know, you basically just have them show up. And unless they're like Penguin who shows up all the time, 
there's no reason they're even around. I mean, the Riddler wasn't used at all up until Zero Year when Snyder used him. Um, he appeared in, obviously, he appeared in Eternal as well. But the thing is, like, there's these characters that, like, there's a real big question mark of why they don't use them or why they're not around. And Snyder said at some point the reason they don't use some of the big villains or the classic villains is because, well, if they were around all the time, they wouldn't mean as much. And that's true because right before the New 52, they were using Joker a lot. A lot. And it was just kind of like, well, why do I care about the Joker appearing anymore? So they scaled it back and they, you know, they kind of took some of the classic villains and said, well, we're only going to use these for certain stories because it, you know, it doesn't do us any good to have a Joker appear in six different issues every month. But they still don't have that problem with Harley Quinn. Sometimes I think you got to look at the circumstances that we've got and the books that are being published right now. And I would say that the only one that really jumps to mind to me is I really like the Catwoman creative team and I like to see like Holly Robinson maybe in there. You know, yeah. I think that would be cool. Um, we haven't, I, she hasn't been in the new 52 at all, I don't think. Uh, I don't, I can't remember her, but I would say this though, with, with the new creative team on Catwoman, and I think we've all really enjoyed that book since the, um, the little mini reboot with the new team. I think that's a character that they could do good with, that they could, you know, have some fun with. So I, I, I think Holly would be the one that kind of springs to mind me the most, all kidding aside. I, there are some characters that I'd like to, you know, I mentioned Killer Croc. I, I really like the direction that they're going with, and I hope that that continues. And seeing him, I think perhaps I, I fell in love with him the most when he was in Gotham Academy. And just the way that almost Batman was portrayed as a villain, and, and Killer Croc was this good guy in his relationship with, with all of, uh, I just really love that. So I hope that they continue to push his character and make it actually interesting. Um, Ivy had a good stint going for a while, and I feel like maybe her character is a bit static. Um, so I kind of want to, to see do better or like have more interesting roles. I'm not reading United, but didn't you just say that she was like the, oh no, you said in Harley Quinn, she was the least interesting, didn't you, Dustin? Or am I putting words in your mouth? Yeah, then you say she's no, the least interesting. She didn't work well with Selena. No, no, no. I, I, no, I said the, 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 the relationship, the relationship oh, between okay. Ivy and Selena was, was, wasn't that, they didn't do a good job of building the relationship there. Gotcha. But the, between Harley and the other two, mm-hmm. the, each of their relationships was good. Gotcha. Um, yeah, you know, Cass is coming back. So I'm interested to see in what capacity she's going to return. And I would say that because, you know, we just saw this re-envisioned, revitalized Velvet Tiger, it would be interesting to see what the Backrow creative team could do with some of those classic characters, like the kooky ones that Backrow went up against. I know Killer Moth is being used in Green Arrow, um, but, you know, someone like the Cavalier, which I feel like I have not seen since the 70s. Um, would just be, it'd be kind of fun and amusing to see what they, what they could do with that. But I mean, right now I feel like satisfied. I remember, you know, when the new 52 began, there were all these characters that we were missing and it was such a bummer, but I feel like little by little, these people are, are coming back. Um, so, you know, and, and I guess my last one would be Jason Bard. Cause I'm wondering what this guy is doing and I didn't like what was going on with him in eternal. So, but I, he's basically, it's, it's the same thing. He's falling off the face. I of the know. Map. So it'd be, yeah. So I feel like they need to bring him back and fix what they did. 
gone. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. They, they did a lot of things in Eternal. Like, Eternal, overall, I thought was good. But they, there's a lot of characters. That, don't get me wrong. I liked that there was a lot of characters. I liked the feel of a story that involves so many different aspects of Gotham City and the Batman universe. But when that all, when Eternal was done, there were so many characters like, and of course I know Stella's gonna just get on me about this, but you know, we haven't really seen Harper <gasps> for quite Dustin. some time either. Whoa. Harper hasn't really appeared. We haven't seen anything with Jason Bard, Vicky Vale, all these characters that they brought in for Eternal that actually had significant roles in the title, have all just kind of like, poof, magically disappeared now that Eternal's done. And I don't know that they're going to bring all of these characters back into this book, but it's the same thing like, you know, is Stephanie going to be a part of Eternal this time around? If it's covering so many facets of the Batman universe, is she going to be a part of it? Like, Or did they just kind of bring her in, introduce her, she played a vital role for that, series and now she can just, she's, they're just free to use her as they want because that's not the same thing as, a, as as actually using the character and that's the thing so anyway all right uh next up scott says great episode again great episode again thanks for the teen titans advice listening to the marvel dc conversation i feel at this point in time comic wise dc is by far the better choice the changes that the com- the other company are making seem to be for the sake of change and not to move the story forward i do however agree with stella that marvel does seem to well, well, be more well. willing, more willing to take more chances. That's my two pennies for what it's worth. The tonal shift within Batgirl is what attracted me to reading the series, and I honestly feel at this point in time it is the best thing on shelves. The Deadpool Harley comparison is dead on with some of the shifts in style. I now feel that you have a lot more variety in DC that, and that can't be a bad thing. Thanks for the top ten list of recommend, recommended titles. Glad to see I had most. And that hush was at the top of the list. I feel like I've gone on long enough, so thanks again and keep up the great work. Scott, plus, P.S., love BTO, Team Babs all the way. Yay! Uh, all right. Corey. Excuse well, me? You're, you're going to be really upset because there's a there, there's some more responses when it comes to this. I feel like a minority um, all of a sudden. You probably are. All right. All right. Next up, Gary says... Another great podcast, guys. Thanks. When you were discussing Bleeding Cool article, Harley Quinn came up. Thanks for the kind words about my reviews. And I just wanted to give some perspective as the reviewer, as well as an unabashed Harley Quinn fan. Between the Harley Quinn main title and the Harley Quinn and Power Girl, she is selling over 100K titles issues per month. One reason I think these books sell so well, as you mentioned, they are a lighter tone than almost all of the other DC books than almost all of the other DC books out there. Connor and Palmiati are out and out funny. Yes, the plots are often hard to follow, but the tone of the books is positively joyful. Harley's misplaced optimism in her own abilities propels the stories forward. And then, and when things go wrong, she shrugs it off and thinks of something else to try. Harley Quinn is like the Chauncey Gardner of on apt means in a clown suit. Amphetamines in a clown suit. Lightheartedness is sore, sorely lacking in most bat books. The writing is also smart. For example, in Harley Quinn and Power Girl number three, there were many references to Hunter Thompson's writing that blew me away. I'm not sure how many 20-year-olds are going to catch the references. Even the movie Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is creeping up on 20 years old. But I had a, I had been reading uh, Hunter Tom uh, Hunter Thompson's since the 70s, so the gags, but so the gags really resonated with me. This is why I'm such a fan of the recent run. Mentioned that the main Harley title dropped 10k in a month. 
I think there are a few reasons for this. First of all, Captain Strong should have been a single issue bad guy. He is just isn't is he just isn't interesting enough to carry three issues. Also, the recently formed Harley gang isn't really working. There were twelve new characters, and that was just too many to really get to know any of them. Now that the five Harley Quints are gone, maybe we can get some more better focus. Although with the story moving to California, who knows what the plan is for the gang. To understand her popularity, you have to take a look at the market for these titles. Harley is amazingly popular with the rapid, rapidly expanding female audience. I read an article, I read an article recently that said that there were more female comic book fans under the age of 21 than male fans. And one look at the cosplaying community will tell you that she is one of, if not the most costume. A woman doesn't need to have a model's figure to make a great Harley. She just needs the attitude. One reason of the character's popularity might be her tragic relationship with the Joker makes many people identify with her. This is more, there is more to it though. Much has been made of her relationship with Ivy and most people consider to her to be bisexual. However, I don't think it is quite right. She is almost, she is almost post LGBTQ. She ignores any label that is put on her because let her, let be it her sexuality, sanity, or competence. The fact that our culture is rejecting the shame of self of previous generations is surely having an effect on the attitudes of younger people. Harley's popularity might reflect new ways of thinking and the shape of things to come. On a side note, I totally agree with Ed about the quality of Prez. Read Prez. DC is doing some very interesting and, dare I say it, culturally important stuff. Oh yeah, Team Babs over here. Woo! All right. Like there's a lot. There's a there's a lot saying there. First off, Team Babs. Woohoo! Okay. Uh, so that's that's two for Team Babs, and then myself and Stella. So that's four to Ed's one. <laughs> All right. Um, the so so the the gist of it. I'm glad you explained everything you explained about the Harley and her popularity, and I think the thing is, to a degree. What you're saying, it makes complete sense. It's just when it's somebody like myself who the title is not necessarily, you know, aimed at because I'm not a female fan. I'm not a female fan who's under the age of 21 or I'm not a female fan who is in her 20s in general. I don't think that this is, this comic is supposed to resonate with me, but that's the thing. But it is true that there are a ton more female readers nowadays. I actually read an article as well that talked about how the majority of people reading digital comics are actually female, not, and they're not buying the print copies. And we don't have any idea of what the sales numbers for digital stuff is, because that stuff's not released like the print copies. Which is ridiculous. On a, just it is. Totally. It is. And I agree. But the weird part about it is the there's actually books that Surprisingly, okay, for example, if you go on Comixology on Thursday morning, the day after a full day of comics or new comics released, if you go on Comixology and look at, they always have a top 10 list of the top 10 most downloaded comics. Now, the weirdest thing about this, and I, and I, to this, I, I still can't put this together. No matter what week you go on there, you look at the top 10 list. I've, I've looked at this for the last three weeks to see. You go on Thursday, which is the day after all of the new, normal new comics. Yeah, the new releases. Injustice, Gods Among Us, the digital book that releases is actually number one on that list on Thursday morning. 
three weeks. To get a fifth year, man, it must be really popular. It is. And that's the thing, like you look at the you look at the print issues that are selling and it's crap. I mean, like, it would be well below the cancellation point that we've talked about multiple times before. But the digital stuff is like propelling that to warrant them keep getting this. There's a completely different audience that the digital stuff appeals to clearly because that's, you know, because they keep doing it because there's, it's selling and it doesn't make any sense because a day after Batman 44 comes out, Injustice is the top book that's being downloaded. It, to me, it doesn't make any sense because Batman's selling more print copies, but then you have to think about it. And I read this article and it talked about how the majority of female readers read their stuff digitally, not print. They're not going to go into a comic shop and pick up a comic. That's that's more of that's more towards the male audience. The female audience actually will go online and just buy their comics and read them from their tablet because that's that's just how the market shows that it actually works. So who knows? I mean, Harley Quinn could actually be selling way, 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 way more than we actually even know because of the digital stuff and how the market that normally buys digital stuff is 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 straight for what you would expect the Harley Quinn readers to be. So I do wish they tell us because this is a, like a bit of a pet peeve with me, right? Like not knowing the digital numbers is, and I, I mean, I know they don't have to release them, I know, but like there's such a big picture there we're not getting. I mean, I, there could be stuff that sells a lot more in digital and stuff that sells a lot less in digital. And oh yeah, I think it, and vice versa. And I think it would give because well, think about it. No matter whenever we have a conversation on here, not just us, like anybody that has a conversation about comics. Be on a podcast or in a comic book store at a convention or insert, you know, place of here. It's always about sales. At the end of the day, it always goes, well, the reason they're doing this is because of the numbers. Like, and we're as bad about it as anybody else is, but it's probably yeah. truthful, you know. But if we don't know the digital comic sales numbers, we're only talking about what we know. And so maybe when some of these off the wall things happen, we're like, well, Harley Quinn's getting a 15th book or whatever, you know, like. I don't know. I just think we'd be better if we knew the digital sales numbers. And I don't know why they, like, I don't know why they don't release them. The only thing I can think of, this is going to sound terrible. It's not meant to. They would, if, if the numbers were really, really good, don't you think they'd be standing on a street corner screaming as loud as they could? Like, I don't know. It's, that's, that's a hard thing to actually answer because yes, they would, but they would be setting out completely different precedent with doing that. Like they have yeah, said multiple yeah. times that digital stuff sells really well and they continue to produce digital first series. And, you know, I know for a fact that the, the Arkham stuff sells really well too. And if you look at it, they have a Mortal Kombat digital series. They have an Injustice digital series. They have an Arkham digital series. So clearly the digital stuff is also, they're also trying to appeal towards, uh, the video gamers because they're the ones also probably buying the stuff compared to going into a print shop or a comic shop and buying a print copy. So, Clearly, because they keep doing it. I mean, I don't know how many people are buying the Mortal Kombat one. They were, for a while, they were doing one for Vampire Diaries, which is clearly aimed towards a specific audience. You know, they've got a Wonder Woman uh, digital series right now, too. And they've got the DC Comics bombshells. I mean, these series are, I mean, just looking at their lineup right now, everything they have is either geared towards a video gamer or a female. For digital. Or, or... Yeah, or I mean, the only real exception is Batman sixty six because it could go any to any, basically That's anybody's definition of all towards anybody. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, like it's it's interesting. It's interesting nonetheless. All right, next up, our favorite uh, commenter of all time, John Mixelplick, 
clearly got his name changed because now he's going by the name John Mixel. Um, he says, hmm, Team Starfire or Team Babs? This may be a little bit controversial, but I'm definitely Team Tarantula. Yep, that's oh, no. right. Pre-Flashpoint Catalina Flores. I'm sure I'm the only one on that team, but that's okay. And since it continues to get brought up on this podcast, I'll continue to respond with a big fat no to Dick Grayson ever temporarily becoming Batman again. The story has already been told. Dick Grayson and Jim Gordon are great supporting characters, but there's only one Dark Knight. And it was nice to read a story about him in Batman number 44. So, real quick, I just want to cut in here and say, obviously, you are clearly not enjoying the Jim Gordon stuff either, so that's another person who's saying they're not enjoying it. Um... I feel like reading Scott Snyder's current story arc in Batman is like watching Harvey Dent become Two-Face. You either die a great and flawless Batman writer, or you live long enough to see yourself become Frank Miller. That's mean. It, it's mean, but it, it is amusing. It could be accurate. It, it, is, but amusing. it, is, it is amusing. Yeah, yeah. Every time Ed defends Scott Snyder, it reminds me of Harley Quinn defending the Joker. Every time <laughs> Dustin hates on Harley Quinn's massive popularity, I laugh. People love her because she's funny and adorable. She's kind of like... Lucille Ball in the show I Love Lucy, but on steroids. And I love that she passed, she has passed Dick Grayson and the Joker to become the most popular Batman related character. As for DC Comics sitting at second place behind Marvel Comics, hasn't that been the case for the past 40 years? And it doesn't help that Dan DiDio is currently in charge of DC. His idiotic stance on why DC superheroes shouldn't be married exposed how clueless he can be about things. Hopefully Scott Snyder brings back the real Batman before he ruins the brand and keeps new readers from getting into Batman comics. All right. So, I mean, the big thing is you, you've got some. And what you really think. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you got some funny remarks here. I mean, the reality of it is I agree with your statement. Uh, Harley Quinn is like Lucille Ball on steroids. I mean, that, that is a very good interpretation of it. Um, and you know, for the most part, I think, I don't know if it's been 40 years because I think Marvel, there was a big chunk in the nineties that I think Marvel was actually really, really bad. Deep trouble. DC yeah. probably did. And it was during Nightfall, No Man's Land, uh, uh, Death of Superman. Those those stories were just propelling DC. And I, But honestly, I think that was were also probably one of the few points that DC had bested Marvel in, in a while. And they didn't track sales numbers before, I think, the early 90s anyway. So, well, they did. I, only, I think now, even archived, I think they only go up to like 99. Well, it's funny you say that, uh, as a guy who knows more about this than he possibly should. You can actually get back into the 60s and the 50s on these, because the way they kept numbers was the amount of subscriptions that were being delivered by the, the National Post Service, the post office. So you, okay. you can look at the subscription numbers, and I can tell you this, there are certain points in the 60s, well, namely when the Batman TV show that was on, right? When the amount that they were doing in Batman comics was staggering. Like they were months of four or five hundred thousand issues a month in the six. But they're, they're subscription rates. They're not, there's no newsstand or anything like that. No. But it's amazing how many much people had description. 1962, Batman circulation was, and this is just publisher statement, 410,000 for Batman in, in the 1960s monthly. You know, it's funny though, if you actually took all of the Bat titles, and this is the same thing that that Gary said to do with Harley Quinn. You take the two Harley Quinn series and combine it, it's over 100K. You took all of the Batman series and you combine them into one. So, like, all of the Batman universe characters that we talk about every single episode here with, you know, Batgirl and Dick Grayson and Robin, you take all the sales numbers, it probably would be over 400,000. Good point. And Fair. Yeah. Th- but, but, I mean, like, you've got – I mean, like, at the time, it, that I mean, those are some great numbers, and I, I, I'm sure that, to a degree, they wish that 
they still had those numbers for one title. But that is all of our listener Q&As. We do have, we're going to quickly cover a couple of real quick things. Uh, The first thing we're going to cover is Ed has a new editorial up on the website. Um, As you're reading, as you're listening to this, you can head over to the website and read it. Ed, tell us what it's about. So the name of my new editorial is called, Is Batgirl the Most Important DC Title Being Published Today? Um, basically the part of the article, if you go read it, you can get a lot more into it is, I think that Batgirl has done more for getting young readers, especially young girls back into reading comics, uh, since the new 52. Um, it's extremely important that we diversify who reads comics right now. Um, and as, as a father that has a daughter, I can tell you that for, for the longest time, I spent all my time going, no, you can't read. Can I read Scott Snyder's any game? No, you know, I mean. Um, but with Batgirl and I Batgirl, which led to Gotham Academy and led to some of their good titles. I think that Batgirl's the most important book in the DCU because it's bringing in such good young readership. So that's basically what the article's about. And, and I go into a little more in depth on it. Um, but yeah, that's basically what I wrote about. We also have another TBU top 10. This is Don's top 10. Now this is in no way one of about to list. This is in no way ranked. He gave a list of. Batman issues, not necessarily Batman stories. This must have been Batman tough issues. to do, by the way. <laughs> it must have. But he put a lot of detail into this. He also has panels that he's included uh, in in it. So while you're listening to this, this is also available over on the website under comic editorials. Um, it's called, uh, we, we, we have been titling these TBU Top 10, and this is his Top 10 Classic Batman Issues to Read. All right, so like I said, these are not ranked. They're in chronological order. So first up we have Batman number 251, which features the Joker's five-way revenge. This is from 1973. Great story. I, I'm just going to run through the list. You can read all about the details of all these stories and actually see some of the art for all of these over on the website. Next, Batman number 232, Daughter of the Demon from 1971. Uh, next, DC special series number 15, Death Strikes at Midnight and 3 from 1978. Uh, next we have Batman number 416, White and Gold Truth, 1987, as long with New Titans number 55, Transition, from 1989. Batman number 442, Lonely Place of Dying, Chapter 5, Rebirth. Those are all part of the, the next slot. Uh, then next we have Batman number 433, Red Slash, and Batman number 496, Die Laughing. Uh, then we have Legends of the Dark Knight, number 17 and number 18. This is Venom, parts 2 and 3. Uh, next, we have Batman, number 600, The Scene of the Crime, and Batman 605, Courage, from 2002. Then we have Batman Gotham Knights, number 32, 24-7, from 2002. And then we have Harley and Ivy, number 3, Hooray for Harleywood, from 2004. So definitely check out Don's TBU Top 10 Classic Issues that you should definitely check out. These are obviously going to be a little bit harder to find if you're looking for collected versions. I'm almost positive that every single one of these is available through Comixology um, or some of these. I mean, none of these are super rare. Some of the, the ones from the 70s are probably a little bit harder to find. Uh, Batman 251 actually is a little bit more pricey. But my point is you could probably find some of these especially the stuff that's from 1990 forward in some back issue bins at your local comic shop as well. So take a look at that list as well. So outside of that, we're not really going to have any discussion because we already had two books this episode, but I will say that 
You may have heard us talk about sales numbers. I mean, we basically do it every episode. I mean, there's there's no point that we don't mention. No getting around it at this point. Yeah, yeah. We're always talking about them to some degree. And if you remember way back, I don't know. It's probably been two years. If I'm really thinking about it, it's probably been two years. But there was a point in time where I wrote an article up on the website, and it really wasn't an article. It was more of just a here's a fact sheet of what sold, where it was ranked, how many it sold, you know, how it compares to the other bat books. It was basically just a chart that showed the rankings for all the bat books and how many issues it sold and how much it was, how much it was down or up from the previous month. Um, and that was basically it. Well, uh, because of the amount of talk that we always have about sales numbers, uh, Terry, our comics news writer, um, he is going to be putting together a ton of information about the sales numbers starting with this month, September's numbers once they release in October. Uh, when it actually, we get those numbers and he publishes them, not only will it just be a comparison of the comics from this time to a, a previous time, but it'll also be a commentary as to, you know, for example, why is it that Harley Quinn dropped 10,000 one month? You know, what could have been the reasons behind that? Why is it that, you know, Batman wasn't as popular this month compared to this month? You know, things like that. And also kind of giving an overview of the market in general, comparing Marvel and DC to kind of just diving a little bit more into the month-by-month numbers when it comes to Marvel versus DC. A lot of people have said, well, Marvel's doing so great, but a lot of big, humongous chunk of what Marvel's currently publishing right now and selling a lot of and a good part of their share is actually the Star Wars titles. And uh, the Star Wars titles are selling not only really well, but like crazy well, where we have issues that are over 100K selling in one month, and that's insane. And there's actually issues that we cover here on the website um, as far as some of the Spotlight books. They actually, the reprints or the second second prints of some of the Star Wars titles are actually selling more than the normal brand new monthly issues for some of the books that we cover. So it's insane how much the Star Wars stuff is, is doing. It also, I mean, Marvel timed it in a good way where Secret Wars, which is currently going on, might not be selling as well as some of the other stuff that they've done, but it doesn't matter because the Star Wars stuff is making up for it. So. And, uh, breaking news that just came across Gotham by Midnight canceled. No. Yep. Gotham by Midnight canceled. Lobo, nothing to do with us. Justice League United with Batgirl canceled. Uh, Omega Men doomed and Catwoman is getting a new creative team. Uh-huh. Uh, Frank Thierry and Inca Miranda will be taking over the title. Interesting. Just, just happened to see it come across on my cell phone here. It tweeted that something must have been going on in the social media network. And yep, yeah, it's official. Gotham by Midnight is whacked with the new solicitations. Which is sad. I like that book, but we kind of saw the yeah. We saw we saw the writing on the wall. While you're listening to this, we'll have the full solicitations on the website. Terry will get them all written up and describing everything that we see. Uh, when we were, but my whole point with sales numbers was Terry is going to start writing a, a article every single month, studying the sales numbers and kind of analyzing everything that there is to analyze, including uh, we're we're gonna have two different parts: the strength strength index, the TV strength index talking about how good a series really is going currently and the changes that it has. But then we're also going to have another part, which is the cancellation point, 
where books, when we they get to a certain point based off of previous books that we've seen canceled, we will know, we will be able to predict which books are going to get canceled. And it's funny because he put together the numbers last night and he actually told me that Gotham by Midnight was probably going to see, he, he said, I, I bet we see a cancellation for Gotham by Midnight when we see solicitations this week. He is a soothsayer. Oh dear, it's, how many issues did that get to? Uh, it actually was way below the point, which we talked about well, at length 20. yesterday. Yeah, I believe it was at like 17 and the, or I think it was 18 and the, um, annual had only 13 from the, from the other month. And that's really, really bad because anything below 22, in my opinion, is kind of up on the radar. Unless, of course, it's one of those books that's geared towards a specific audience that could potentially be buying. Like Gotham Academy is at 22. But that book probably has really great digital numbers to make up for it. So, isn't that so funny? We just uh, <laughs> so we just talked about that, and then we're both doing the same thing. You're like, I just wish we knew the digital numbers. I really do. Yes. I mean, I, th- I think it would make because it would make it makes me believe when you see a book that's like you said with the Gotham Academy, and it's got the same numbers as a title that should be canceled. I just assume that they're making it up in digital, and I might be wrong, <laughs> you know. But that's what I assume. But yeah. Gotham by Midnight gone, and Justice League United gone, which is... We have to think, we also have to think to ourselves, like, a book like Batgirl, pre-New 52 with Stephanie Brown, had about 25,000 per month. You know, and they can't, they actually canceled the series, they didn't just say it's done, they canceled it right before, so, or before the New 52 started, so the thing is, they, they knew it was going to end, obviously they went in a different direction with Batgirl. So that was their kind of their point before the New 52. But what a lot of people aren't even considering is once the New 52 started, we actually had the digital stuff, you know, where they made sure the digital stuff was available the same day as the print stuff. And that we don't, you know, we have no idea. I mean, like you could see a book like Harley Quinn gets 10,000 less a month because the people realized, hey, comicsology exists. You know, yeah. something stupid like that could happen. And we have no idea because they refuse to release those numbers. Somehow, someday, something's going to happen where those numbers are All it takes is the first company to do it. Like, if Marvel decides to put it out, or Image, or IDW, you know what I'm saying? Like, Well, no, what it needs to happen is because Marvel and DC don't release the sales numbers for the print copies. It's Diamond. Right. It's Diamond who's doing the distribution for all of the comics. So, really, what needs to happen is... Comicsology needs to be releasing those numbers, not one of the publishers. They just need to be letting the numbers be released. And I would bet, and you would think it would actually happen because they're owned by Amazon now. Well, Amazon will. I think that we'll get there with them. I do, and and I think that it's going to be like when we finally get the dump of information, which will happen. You know, oh, you know, yeah. I think it's going to be one of those things where. I will go through it for like an hour and a half and be totally shocked by half the stuff I see. We'll have the full sol- breakdown of the solicitations on the next episode. Keep in mind, I did say earlier that the uh, September has five weeks, so the next time you'll actually hear from us is in actually in three weeks, not two weeks. So mark your calendars for that. And when we come back, we'll cover the three weeks' worth of comics, including the couple annuals that come out at the end of the month. We'll have uh, much more time for discussion. And then when we come back in October, uh, we're going to be covering a lot of new stuff, specifically four additional issues per month with Eternal. So uh, we're going to try to figure out some way of not only covering Eternal, but also still working in time for our discussions and more time for listener Q&As. So 
All you can do as a listener is make sure those listener Q&As keep coming so that we can try to figure out some way of making sure that we still have time to cover them. So with that, that is everything for this episode. Head over to the website for all kinds of news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Also be sure to check out all kinds of editorials that we have to offer, not just from comics but other things as well. Also be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube as well as join our Facebook group. Be sure to leave reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And as I've said multiple times, I'm still looking for a couple of reviewers. I'm still looking for reviewers for a couple of specific things. So what I'm specifically looking for is I'm looking for two more people to review comic books. Nothing specific at this point. I will say that potentially it could be stuff that's coming out in the next couple months. Batman Europa, Dark Knight 3, um, some of the other uh, other dishery series that are also not getting covered right now. So I'm looking for two comic book writers. I'm also looking for someone to review Gotham in written form on the website, or I guess, or video form if you really wanted to. Um, got every episode of Gotham. Um, and we are also looking for news writers, but this month I'm specifically looking for somebody for merchandise. If you are obsessed with buying stuff related to Batman, this is the time to jump on board with TBU and uh, help out with the TBU merchandise news. It's actually probably the easiest section to maintain as far as news because there's only so much merchandise that comes out every single month or it gets announced. So with that, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And this is Stella. You've been listening to the Batman Years Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in three weeks. Nailed it.